The following message is from Temple Bible Church. For more information about the church and its ministries, visit www.templebiblechurch.org. I just want to welcome you today to Temple Bible Church. My name is Tim Cartwright. I'm the junior high pastor here. And we also want to wish our pastor, uh, Gary, a happy birthday. I think it's what his 70th or something like that. Uh, I'm not sure. Uh, But he's in Ukraine celebrating. Not really celebrating because uh, his team, the Tigers, imploded in the fourth quarter last night. So uh, he's not too happy. But it's his birthday, so maybe he's a little happy. Um, So uh, we're excited to, to be able to uh, be here for Orphan Sunday. We have the tables out in the lobby and uh, just focusing on um, the needs here in, uh, both in, in Central Texas and around the world when it comes to orphans and foster care and other things like that. Uh, so I'm excited to be here and uh, being able to share with you guys. Uh, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 1 to start out with if you want to turn there. Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to be looking toward the end of the chapter there. Uh, but in order for us to, to really understand the orphan crisis, uh, both locally and around the world, uh, I really, uh, God kind of pressed on my heart to really push what it means, first of all, to be the body of Christ. Because if we don't understand what the church is about and why we're here and why God has put us here uh, on this earth as a body then we really would be wasting our time, wasting our energy, wasting our breath to talk about uh, the orphan crisis. So it's important for us first to get a good grip on what the body of Christ means. Uh, And as we look at the body, we're going to cover about four questions that we'll address this morning based on the body of Christ. The first one being, what makes up the body of Christ? What is the body of Christ made of? When you hear the church, you hear the body, what does that mean? And Uh, There's passages all throughout the New Testament that talk about the body of Christ. Uh, I think it's 1 Corinthians 12. That's one of the most common. But uh, we're going to look at Ephesians 1, verses 22 and 23 uh, that talk to uh, us a little bit about the body. It says, God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. So we think about those two short verses that talk about the church. We think, first of all, if you look there, it says, God placed all things under his feet and appointed him, appointed him to be head over everything. Now, do you think that passage is saying God placed himself over everything? Who did God place over everything? And the kids in the audience say... Jesus, right, correct, Jesus. That him is referring to Jesus. He appointed to him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. So for us to understand what makes up the body of Christ, of course it's Jesus, and it's his disciples, the follower of Christ, us, the followers of Christ. And so for us to understand this, we need to picture ourselves as part of Christ's body. The church is Christ's body. You know, never in the New Testament, if you do word studies throughout the church, you'll never see the church referred to as a building. Now, yes, it is important for us to have our local church that we meet in, that we encourage one another, that we serve our community, that we're identified with, to be loyal and faithful to that church. But the building is never mentioned. It's the disciples 
of Christ that make up the body. So that's important for us to get. Another question would be, what is the scope of the body of Christ? How far does the body of Christ reach in this world? And as we look again here in the end of uh, verse 23, it says, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Now, as I read that statement, I didn't quite get what he's saying. So whenever I don't get what he's saying or in Scripture, oftentimes I'll go to people that are a lot smarter than me and help me understand things. I don't know if you do that. Maybe you're just smart enough, but sometimes I need help. So oftentimes John Piper, a well-known author and speaker, gives me some help, and he helps us understand a little bit about what it means to be that, that Jesus fills everything in every way. And the, the thing that he pointed out was that it's basically the idea here is this. You have Jesus who came down to earth in human form. He lived a life. He was crucified. He died and was buried and rose again. The gospel story that he died for us on the cross and for our sin and our, for our filthiness. He died for us. He rose again and had ministry among his people. And then he left this earth physically. But he left. His body here, which is us, the followers of Christ. So the way Jesus literally can fill all in all is that he can use his body, the physical flesh of his people, to go and to share and to love others and to witness and be the gospel and share the gospel. And in that way, Christ does his work. And he does it through his body. There's a quote from Abraham Kuyper. He says, There is not a square inch in the whole domain of our existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, Mine. Let that sink in. There is not one little inch where Christ doesn't say, That is mine. Now my two-year-old son, He's really good at that. Mine. He's crazy. He really is. He's two and a half and he's nuts. He's like screaming at us like he's Hitler or something. Like yelling at us, punching us and smacking people with cars. and It's nuts. And he yells mine and he says, this is mine, this is mine. And you know what's funny? We laugh about Noah being two. But you know what? We may not scream it, but we often say it. We say it through our actions. We say it through what we purchase. We say with what we do with our money, with what we do with our time. And we say, mine. This is mine. But it's pretty obvious. Jesus says, nope, sorry, not yours. This is not yours. Your life is not your own. You have been bought with a price. So it's important for us to see the scope of God that his authority spans every, every area not just the central Texas, but this world. You think about, you know, sometimes it might be easy for you to maybe see him as authority and ruler, maybe of your own life, and maybe of your family, and, and maybe even of central Texas. But is he ruler in Darfur and Rwanda, where all those killings took place? Is he ruler in the Middle East, where people are blowing people up? Is he ruler in communist China and North Korea where people are persecuted for their faith and often even killed for their faith? Is he ruler there as well? 
Is he in control? Because sometimes it seems chaotic and crazy. You know, Piper also says, he helps us understand this, he says, picture him as the king over many territories that are not fully subdued to him. This text is declaring that Christ is indeed the king of the universe. He is above all rule. He is over every name. God put all things under his feet. He is head over all things, and by his authority, he will sovereignly fill all his territories with absolute sway. He will accomplish his purpose in every sphere. He will make himself unmistakably known in every place. He will be preeminent in every nook and cranny of the universe. God's going to do his work. God makes himself known. There are some countries and some places in this world where maybe the king doesn't seem like he's reigning at the time because not all is fully subdued to what he's going to do, but he will make his name known. And the, the, the fun thing, the crazy thing about it is he's chosen his church, his body, to do it. To be his physical manifestation on this earth. But one of the problems we experience in excuse me, in understanding the body of Christ, is that we often err on the side of narcissism. Narcissism is just a big word to say we're a bunch of selfish people. We love the world to revolve around us and things to be about us. And if things revolve around us and if it's all about us and how we're affected by things and how things are working out for us, then guess what? We miss the bigness of God. We miss His authority and His rule in our lives and we miss His rule and authority in the world because we're self-focused. But in order for us to really understand the body of Christ, we need to focus on the bigness of God. Number three, what is your responsibility in the body of Christ? We've seen what makes up the body of Christ. We've seen how big this thing called the church is and how amazing God is and filling all and everything. But what is our role? What is your role if you call yourself a Christian in this body? And uh, as I prayed and thought about this, there are six things that came to my mind. This is an exhaustive list of your responsibilities, but there are a few here. Number one, we need to take a posture of true biblical humility. Look at the definition up there. The displacement of self by the enthronement of God. Recognizing that God himself needs to be on the throne of your life. Not the co-pilot, but actually the driver. Not the consultant or the counselor, although he is described as a counselor, but the king of your life. The ruler of all that you do. The ruler of your family. The ruler of your job. The ruler of your school and education. That you recognize this posture that you need to take, which is biblical humility on your knees, recognizing your king. Unfortunately, you and I have a big issue with that. Because of sin, because of the fall, because of our own desires, we constantly want to kick God off the throne and put ourselves there. And you know what? When we do that, it's a miserable life. It could go well for a little while. But when someone else besides God is on the throne of your life, it ends up being pretty miserable. Number two, 
We need to recognize that this world and the people in it are severely broken because of sin. There is brokenness all around us. There is restoration that needs to take place. And God has called us through His Son, Jesus Christ, to be a part of the restoring work in our community of these broken people. You know, I, I was reminded of my brokenness pretty recently back at the end of July. My physical brokenness. I was at a camp with my family. I was playing basketball and thinking, you know, I'm, I'm still young, which I love to play basketball. And I'm out there and I throw this pass. I step into it like this, right to Chris Giles down here. And he makes the layup. Well, he made the layup and I was excited about that. But I wasn't excited on the fact that I was in pain sitting on my butt on the floor or on the, on the ground. I'm watching him like, oh, that hurt. Never had any knee problems. So I go to the sideline and there's a surgeon there, you know, and he's like, it's been a while since I did my residency and and orthopedics, you know, and looks like an MCL or something like that. So, of course, I sat out, right, the rest of the time. No, I didn't. I I really didn't. I actually went back in the game and I hopped around, you know, and I'm good. And I'm just hopping, shooting and uh, thinking everything's going to be okay. And then I wake up the next morning and it's like this big. And... um, so I had a mission trip I had to do in Galveston two days later. So I went to the mission trip, and I get back, and they do an MRI, and the nurse calls me, and she says, you fractured your knee, you tore, partially tore your meniscus, you partially tore your MCL, and you ruptured your ACL. I was like, is that all? <laughs> actually, no, I actually physically felt sick to my stomach. And I knew instantly, oh, surgery. Long recovery. <laughs> so I was reminded, and as I went through that, it wasn't just a physical thing. You know, I prayed and said to God, God, show me what it is you want to teach me through this. And you know what he taught me? This lesson right here. To recognize that all of us in this world are broken. And we're all breaking down physically, but that's just a sign of something deeper, which we're all breaking down, and we've been broken down spiritually, and we need a Savior. This world is broken. The people in it are broken. I, I have a chance to, to minister to 5th or 8th graders, and it's awesome. I love my job, but the unfortunate thing about my job is I have to watch families. In this age group, it seems to be so common that the brokenness is seen in relationships and families where families are split apart. And the brokenness of this divorce is seen so clearly. And it's so sad, but it's a sign of our brokenness. Number three, we have to have a holy unrest and uneasiness when it comes to the broken world we live in. We need to understand that we can't just sit back and say, yep, get callous to the news or the newspaper or the Internet. Yeah, those people are, well, hopefully they'll work things out, you know. And we just kind of sit back and say, it's a good thing it's not me. We need to look and see and have this uneasiness and this inability to rest at the sight of horrible things that are taking place, hurting people around us. We need to have that unrest and ask God to give that to us through the power of the Spirit. In his uh, recent book, Explicit Gospel, Matt Chandler says, one of the things that happens when we no longer buy into God's being for the least of these, when we don't hear Him calling us to engage the world around us in its pain and injustice is the stalling out of discipleship. Our faith simply becomes about us and the Lord and getting our ticket to heaven. Is that what you see God and Jesus as this morning? Your ticket to heaven? 
You're like, no, not me, not me. Does your life show that, though? Do your actions show that? It's a challenge for all of us. Number four, we need to be the voice, the hands, the feet, the eyes, the ears, the heart of Jesus to a devastated, fallen, and broken world. You know, obviously we've seen a devastated and fallen and broken world in this past week with Hurricane Sandy and the destruction that took place. And what's interesting is when I get the privilege to come up here on the stage, I get lots of time to repair. I'm not like Gary where I have to prepare every week and, you know, crank it out. I get some time to let it marinate a little bit and and let, let it sink in. And this is about a month and a half ago that I got the chance to think about Orphan Sunday and what, what is God going to have uh, me share with you guys. And I wrote down these statements a month and a half ago. Listen to how ironic and weird they are. It says, look at the disasters around the world. I'm in no way claiming that the church is exclusively responsible for recovery and physical needs being met, but it's pretty evident that Christ's body is manifested on an enormous scale in the middle of pain, tragedy, and devastation. I'm no way claiming that I'm a prophet. Okay, Don't go telling Gary that Tim thinks he's a prophet here. But here's the crazy thing. That is a great physical identity of the church in action being the body of Christ. As I looked on Facebook yesterday, I was able to see the pictures of, of my sister uh, where she brought her minivan down from North Jersey. She goes to the church in Staten Island, brought a minivan down to my, my family's house, was going to load it up with stuff, and they got so much stuff from the body of Christ in Philadelphia, they needed to take the church van back, 15 pastor van back up to Staten Island with supplies. That's the body of Christ. That's Jesus in the flesh being lived out. And so it's a challenge for all of us to think about being the voice, the hands, the feet, the eyes, the heart, and the ears of Jesus to a devastated, fallen, and broken world. Number five, we need to recognize the the ultimate goal in this, the ultimate goal in all of this, is the gospel. Is the message of Jesus Christ. Now, some of you may know this about me, and And you may be like this too. You love to try to help where you can help. When you see something uh, that's out of place or not right, you try to help restore it. And so we do food drives and we do gift drives and and we help with socks and we do all different kind of stuff, shoes and all these things. And sometimes I err on the side of serving and helping relieve that injustice, but sometimes I forget the most important thing in all of it is the gospel. That people need to hear with our mouths the gospel being spoken. The fact that God sent His Son, Jesus Christ, on your behalf to do what you couldn't do on your own and pay for your sin. That needs to be heard in the process of being the church. Jesus says about being salt and light in Matthew 5.16, in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. We have to be clear. This isn't the great service project. It's the great commission. It's the great commission and we're called to make disciples, to share our faith. So if we're going to be a church, the true church, the body of Christ, then we, along with doing service and helping others, we need to be speaking the gospel and sharing the gospel as we go. Number six of our responsibilities as the church is to not only look around the globe, but to look in your own backyard. 
Sometimes it's easy for us to think about overseas and we help and, and serve in the Ukraine. Or three of our pastors are there right now in China, in Africa, and other places around the world. But sometimes it's tough for us to open our eyes to what's in our backyard, in our own neighborhoods. And part of the problem with this is being a, a parent of young kids. Here's the problem sometimes. We want to shelter our kids from so many things. We want to keep them from seeing pain or even experiencing pain. And we want to shelter and say, don't look at that. Don't turn the channel. And there are things you shouldn't be letting your kids see, believe me. But there's also the thing where maybe they need to see hurting people. Maybe they need to experience that love that can be given from a hand that is reaching out to help. Maybe you as a mom or dad can take them by the hand to serve somebody in your neighborhood as the body of Christ. We are called to serve the people of our own community even before we go to the ends of the earth. So it's a challenge there too as well. You know, you might ask Tim, I thought we were talking about Orphan Sunday. what, What does this have to do with Orphan Sunday? Well, if you think that, maybe... I don't know, you're daydreaming, why am I here? I'm an hour, I'm thrown off by an hour more of sleep. I'm just elated and in another world. We all know as young parents that really that's not a gift, an extra hour of sleep. 5.30 this morning, Noah is yelling, Mama! Mama! Which I was the good dad today and actually let her sleep and got up so I pat myself on the back a little bit. But, but we need to realize, look, the orphan crisis both locally and globally, is a lack of the church being the church. It's a lack of the body of Christ going into action and saving these kids. Not saving them spiritually, God does that, but saving them from a life that is without a parent, without somebody that loves them and cares for them. So what is the orphan crisis locally and what can the body of Christ do? Tony Morita, author of Orphanology, says, Orphans are among the least powerful and most vulnerable people on earth. They are vulnerable really from a very early age. They are vulnerable in the orphanage. They are vulnerable definitely when they transition out of the orphanage. An orphan does not have a voice. No one sees them on the news at night. And they are very weak and easy to take advantage of. There's a philosopher from 125 AD that was quoting based on watching the church in action. Aristides, he's watching the church a number of years after Jesus left this earth, and here's what he says about the church. They love one another, and from the widows they do not turn away their esteem. They deliver the orphan from him who treats him harshly. And when they see a stranger, they take him into their homes and rejoice over him as a very brother. This is what this man saw of the church soon after Jesus left the earth. He saw the church taking care of widows, taking care of the orphans, and welcoming a stranger in. Is that what someone could write about us as the church today? Could we be known for that? Could someone see us in action? You know, when it comes to the local orphan crisis, Candace and I, my my wife, we've been challenged in our lives personally. We have three kids, Noah's two, Kendall's five, Sydney's seven. And after having Noah... We had talked a little bit about adoption. Uh, Candace is, is adopted by her father. 
we have a brother-in-law who's adopted as well. He's adopted by her parents. He's six months old. And so that's kind of in our family, in our thought process, and we prayed about it, and we weren't sure. You know, you know how you pray? I'm going to pray about it. You know, you college students, sometimes you use that for the relationship excuse. Uh, I'm going to pray about it, right? Uh, so we're going to pray about it, right? But God pushed us. And like he often does, he pretty much kicked the door down in certain circumstances. Too long for me to mention. But he basically says, guess what? You're not going to pray about it anymore. Get to work. And so he said, uh, let's start. Thirteen sessions later, going through the training process, we are waiting for our fourth child. And we can't wait. It's so exciting to think about what God has for us in this, in this regard. And we're excited to think about what it's going to look like. But we as a church, what can we do when it comes to the orphan crisis? As a body. James 1.27 says, Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained by the world. David Platt, a a pretty uh, well-known pastor of a church in Alabama, wrote the book Radical. And in that process... As they, he wrote that book, they were studying James and specifically this passage. And that church came to the realization, look, we need to do something. So they contacted the, the Department of Human Services there in Alabama, in their county, and said, how many kids are available for adoption? And they said 150. And within two weeks, that church, that church came up with 160 families looking to adopt and basically wiped out the need for adoption in their county at that time. And along those lines, I I said to myself, well, hey, how about you call the Bell County Department of Human Services and see what's going on there? And guess what? It's a lighter load. You guys could easily do this. It's only 118. 118 kids that are looking for a home, looking for someone to call mommy or daddy. Some of you may say, well, Tim, I'm getting up there. Last time I changed the diaper, they were cloth diapers. No, you're probably not that old. but uh, You might be saying, I'm a little old for this. Well, guess what? Most of the kids, the orphans looking for a home locally right now are about between the age of 4 and 10. And some moving toward preteen age. Right up your alley, right? So I would ask you, do you think we could handle this? Do you think we could do this? I honestly think yes. A church of 3,000 plus people. I think we could handle this. You know, it's obvious to all of us in here that we're not all called to adopt. We're not all called to, to say, this will be my child. But we may be called to foster care. We may be called to respite care where you give a foster parent a break for a little while to let them breathe and and hang out for a little bit so that they can continue to do the work of fostering. You can be supporting financially, going out of your way, but I will say this, some of you that don't think you're called to adopt are. And you're just disobeying. Some of you may be called and you're just thinking of excuses of why you can't take that kid in. It's a challenge for all of us to think about and it was a challenge for us as well. There's great opportunities out there and I remember distinctly what Chase Bowers, our 
A global outreach pastor said that last year from this stage, we may not all be called to adopt, but we're all called to do something. We shouldn't just sit back and see this crisis happen. We're all called to do something. And if you are stirred within your heart and and you don't know today what it is, you know something needs to happen, but you don't know what, you can contact Chase here at the church. He would love to talk to you more. We have a table out there where you can just sign up and put your email down. And we can just give you some, maybe some ideas on how you can help aid in this crisis of orphans both locally and globally. There's tables out there where you can talk to people as well. So as we consider this, I, I want the band to come up and kind of close with this song we've sung a few times. It's called All the Poor and Powerless. And it fits this challenge of the orphan crisis very specifically. The question I guess I would ask you as you guys can go ahead and stand with me is the challenge I would ask you is what are you doing today for the poor and the powerless? And as we sing this song, I would ask you to think about that. What can you do? Let's pray. Dear God, We thank you for the challenge from your word. We thank you that you have given the church the responsibility to be the voice, the hands, the feet, the eyes, the ears to a broken world and specifically today to the orphans both locally and globally. Lord, pierce our hearts. Push us out of our comfort zones into the realm of doing things that might sound crazy to other people, but doing it for your honor and glory. In your name we pray. Amen.